Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Um, without further ado, please welcome Arthur Bradford. Thank you, and uh, thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Can you hear me okay? Um, so this is this is the book. It's called Turtle Face. Um, it's a book of short stories, but the the narrator is the same in every story. Um, it's a guy named Georgie, and um, he's he's a uh, he, like I think of him as sort of like an alternate version of myself sometimes. Um, but what I'd like to do is I'm going to read pieces of of these stories, um, and uh, and then I'll I'll let you if you if you're interested in knowing what happens, then you have to get the book. Um, so I'll I'll start with the first story, Turtle Face. Um, and I don't think I'll, I'll say anything else. Um, the, I'll just read the first kind of little part of it, and then I'm going to talk, and then I'm going to read another story, and then there's a Q&A. Um, so if you, you want to think of a question, you can start formulating it now. <laughs> um, okay, this is called Turtle Face. We were paddling our canoes down a remote, slow-moving river, a full day's travel in either direction from the nearest road, when Otto decided to do something spectacular and stupid. Around a bend, we encountered a sandy cliff rising up out of the water. Otto announced that he would climb this cliff and then run down its steep face. We could all take pictures as he descended in long Olympian strides. At the end of his run, as he neared the base, Otto explained that he would launch himself into the river. A downhill running dive. It was late in the afternoon, and we'd all been drinking beer and whiskey. Otto and I paddled to the cliff's base, and he got out. Then he climbed. It was tough going due to all that loose sand. How's this? He shouted down. He was about halfway up. Higher! I shouted back. I was excited about the, st the stunt and reason that greater height would maximize the effect. I was feeling envious as well. Sheila and Maria were in the other canoe, watching intently. They wore cut-off blue jeans shorts over their, swim, over their swimsuits. Sheila was a photographer. She pointed her large lens camera up at Otto. Maria, my girlfriend, was a nurse and on the verge of dumping me for a number of legitimate reasons. <laughs> at that moment, I wished that I possessed Otto's imagination and daring. There was one other person with us, a cousin of Sheila's named Tom. He was a large fellow who had joined the trip at the last minute. He couldn't or wouldn't paddle because he had broken his thumb. Instead, he declared he would be in charge of doling out the beer, and he spent the day sprawled in the center of the woman's canoe doing just that. His skin had turned from pale white to dark crimson over the course of our journey. Maria had warned him about the dangers of exposure to the sun, but he dismissed her advice with a wave of his cast-bound hand. I'll be fine, said Tom. 
Otto reached a point in the cliff where he could climb no higher. The terrain above him was too steep. He was perhaps a hundred feet above the river now, clinging to exposed tree roots for support. Clods of dirt tumbled down the slope and bounced into the water in front of us. Do it, shouted Tom. He threw a half-full can of beer toward the cliff, where it landed without a sound in the sand. Are you going to pick that up? asked Maria. Nope, said Tom. I'll pick it up, I said. I paddled my canoe back towards the cliff. Are you ready? shouted Otto. Yes, I shouted back. Where should I dive? shouted Otto. I could see that Otto was having second thoughts. But the cliff shot straight into the river and the water below it was dark and deep. It all seemed fine to me. Go to my left, I shouted back, pointing to a general area. My steps are going to be so long, man. Watch this. Otto gave a half-hearted whoop and leapt into the air. He took one huge stride and then another. He was right about those long steps. He covered a tremendous amount of ground with each leap. Such was the pitch of the terrain. The sun shone down and the sand kicked up behind him, creating an impressive superhuman image. Sheila clicked away with her camera and said, Oh, wow. Maria nodded appreciatively. Admiration and envy swelled up within me. I should have come up with this, I thought, or at least climbed up there and done it with him. A tandem performance. We could have shared in the glory. The woman would have rubbed our backs around the campfire that night while recounting our heroics. Otto's body pitched forward as he neared the river's edge. He was losing control, legs scrambling, barely able to keep up with his downhill momentum. Ah, he cried. He dove forward, flying out toward the water and hit the surface with a smack. Ouch, I thought. Whoa, fuck, said Tom, slapping his knee with his one good hand. Damn. The women were silent, unsure whether to laugh or be concerned. I moved closer to where Otto had landed. His body floated up in an awkward manner, face down, arms splayed out from his sides. Turn over, Otto, I said out loud. Maria yelled at me, get him, Georgie. I swam out and flipped Otto's body over. His nose was smashed. Something was wrong with his lip, too. Otto took a huge gasp of air. He was alive, a good sign. I recall thinking, oh, this isn't too bad. He's okay, I said to the others. He's all right. No, he's not, said Sheila. Blood began to spill from Otto's nose and mouth. Sheila was right. I had been too optimistic. He wasn't okay at all. Where was his blood coming from? What was wrong with his face? It was punched in. Jesus, how did this happen? It was just water. We hoisted Otto on board Sheila and Maria's canoe. Tom got out begrudgingly to make room in the center. He stood next to me in the river while Maria, the nurse, attended to Otto's face. Sheila kept saying, oh Lord, oh my Lord. Tom opened a new beer and together we scanned the water where Otto had landed, looking for the rock or tree limb that must have caused the damage. Eventually, Tom said, there's your culprit. He pointed to a dim, submerged object spinning in the current just below the water's surface. What is it, I asked. We watched for a moment as the object rose up, wiggled a bit, and then sank back down. It's a turtle, said Tom, almost chuckling. He hit a fucking turtle. <laughs> oh, God, I said. It was a small snapping turtle, the size of your average pie. 
It was injured too, struggling to remain upright in the water. I waded over and fished the creature out of the river. Its shell was cracked and I could see tender insides through the gap. Oh no, I said. Tough day for him, said Tom, shaking his head. Over in the canoe, Otto coughed and moaned. What happened, he sputtered. What? We need to get him out of here, said Maria. We need a hospital, a helicopter, something. So I'm going to stop at that point. Um, and actually what I would like to do is I, I want to uh, skip ahead in the story just to read a, another short part of it. Um, and so what I'll tell you is um, Georgie, the, um, the narrator, he, he decides that he's, he wants to um, save the turtle as much as he wants to save Otto. So he takes the turtle and he puts it in, in a cooler and they have to um, take Otto on this like overnight canoe trip to, to the nearest road. And they make it to the road and then a helicopter comes in and rescues Otto. But then Georgie is um, waiting uh, with the canoes uh, and the turtle and he's waiting for Tom, the guy with the broken thumb, to, to catch up because he, he was left with the, the second canoe uh, with his broken thumb and it was taking him a while. So uh, it's the next day and, and Tom's showing up here. Tom showed up that afternoon wet and angry. His canoe was half full of water and all of the gear was gone. Where the hell is everybody, he asked me. A helicopter came, I said. They went to the hospital. A chopper here? Oh, fuck. Tom held up his hand. The cast over his thumb had mostly crumbled away. I think I'm going to need a doctor, too, he said. They should have waited for me. Otto was in bad shape, I pointed out. Yeah, but look at this, said Tom. He motioned toward his swamp canoe. I could have died back there. You assholes abandoned me. Tom was drunk. Although our gear was gone, he had managed to save a few beers. He offered one to me. Thanks, I said. The beer tasted terrible, and I felt immediately dizzy because I hadn't e eaten anything since the day before. Tom peered into my cooler, looking for booze, and saw the turtle, cleaned off and wrapped up in duct tape. Well, look at this, he said. You're a regular Dr. Doolittle. He's still alive, I told Tom. He's not going to survive. You might be right. Oh, I'm right. You know what we're going to have to do, said Tom. What? eat him. <laughs> the turtle? Right, said Tom. It's the proper thing to do when you mortally wound an animal in the wild. I'm not going to eat that turtle, I said. <laughs> Look, said Tom, it's more respectful than letting him die in vain. That little fellow was doing just fine until you and Otto decided to fuck up his day. Now you just want to tape him up and flee the scene. Show some respect, Georgie. It's the least you can do. Hold on, I said. What do you mean by you and Otto? It was Otto's decision to run down that cliff. I was just there to provide support. We all were. I had nothing to do with it, said Tom. I washed my hands of the matter, except this turtle here. I'll help you make a soup if you want. I'm hungry as hell, and the meat will go bad if we wait much longer. It's the law of the jungle, Georgie. Eat what you kill. Leave no trace. I had no response for this logic, except to say that we were not going to eat the turtle, and the matter was no longer up for discussion. About an hour later, we caught a ride to our car in the back of a pickup truck. I held the cooler with the turtle on my lap, trying not to let it bounce too much on the dirt roads. Tom clutched his broken thumb and moaned. So that's that's that scene. <laughs> um, so and so the reason that this book is called Turtle Face is that um, 
Otto, he, he recovers, but he's, he's got like a, a dented face. And um, he and Georgie become roommates, and they uh, nurse the turtle back to health. And then Otto, um, and this is actually true about snapping turtles. If you keep them as a pet, you're supposed to walk them outside. So Otto starts walking the turtle on a leash, and everyone starts calling him Turtle Face because of his face and then his pet turtle. Um, and, and there's more exciting things that happen. <laughs> um, but uh, that's the first story in the book. Um, and I want to read from another story in the book uh, called Snakebite. And I, I want to point out that not every story in this book involves reptiles and, um, and like strange injuries. It's just that I, I, those are the two that have the, the beginnings that I like to read. Um, but most of the other stories are just, um, they're, they're good too. They just... <laughs> um, okay, so... This story is called Snakebite. <clears throat> we were riding in a car together, Clifford, his wife Jolene, and I. Clifford was at the wheel, and Jolene sat next to him up front. I was in the back. We were running late on our way to, a we- on our way to the wedding of a friend named Margaret out in the hills of Virginia. According to Jolene, I was underdressed. I had neglected to bring a tie, and instead of shoes, I was wearing a pair of sneakers. You look like a jackass, said Jolene. It's a country wedding, I said. This is appropriate. Clifford refused to weigh in on the subject, but I did notice he was wearing a tie and some nicely polished shoes. I wondered if maybe someone at the wedding might have an extra tie which I could slip on before the ceremony. Yeah, that's cool, guys. Just have a seat. (laughs) You guys comfortable? (laughs) They're friends of mine. Um, I put on a tie afterward, but everyone would know. That I, was just ta- I, I could put on a tie afterward, but everyone would know that I was just taking action after the fact. I looked down at my ratty sneakers and realized that Jolene was probably right. I looked like a jackass. We were driving on a country road and it was spring, a sunny April day in the mountains. Clifford sped along trying to make up for lost time. The hillsides were green and popping with little white flowers. There were some yellow ones out there too. Even a person like me, poorly dressed and feeling glum about it, could appreciate the beauty of the day. Jolene said, look at this weather. Margaret's a lucky gal. Well, about the weather anyway. Jolene was not far gr- fond of Margaret's husband-to-be. He was a lanky plumber's assistant from Culpeper named Luke. I liked him fine, though months earlier I'd actually advised, advised him not to get married. He had confided in me that one night that he was thinking about proposing to Margaret, and I told him that they didn't seem as if they were ready for that. The very next day, Luke bought a ring from the pawn shop and got down on his knee. That's how much my advice was worth to him. (laughs) Jolene felt that Luke was a simpleton. Quote, simpleton. The wedding was set to take place at a farm. We were about 20 minutes away, nearly there, when we came upon a plump man waving his arms in the middle of the road. His vehicle, an older model Cadillac, was pulled off to the side, and one of his pants legs was rolled up to his knee. Don't stop, said Jolene. We'll be late. I have to stop, said Clifford. He's waving. Drive around him. Clifford slowed down and tried to coast by slowly, but the man flung himself under the hood of our car. Clifford hit the brakes, and the man just lay there on his belly, breathing heavily. Get off, yelled Jolene. I think there's something wrong with him, I said. 
That's a good observation, said Jolene. Speed up, Cliff. We're late as it is. Don't do that, I said. Clifford was trying to think things over. The man on the hood lifted his head and gazed at us through the windshield, his round face covered in sweat. He had a little brown mustache perched above his small, thin-lipped mouth. Help me, he said to us. Oh, Jesus, said Jolene. I sensed an opportunity here to make myself useful. I opened up my door and got out to confront this fellow. What's going on here, I asked him. The chubby man pointed down toward his ankle, the one with the cuff rolled up. I got bit, he said, wincing. Snake bite. I stepped forward and examined the spot on his leg. There were indeed two small red holes, fang marks, I suppose, where a snake or some other small animal had struck him. It didn't look like anything very serious to me. Does it hurt, I asked. Oh, God, yes, said the man. I think my leg's gone numb. Jolene leaned her head out the window and said, tell this person to please get off of our car. The man gave Jolene a pitiful look and slowly rolled off the hood, landing gingerly on his one good leg. We're late for a wedding, I explained to him. I think I've been poisoned, said the man. I could really use some help. I can't drive like this. My leg's nearly paralyzed. What did the snake look like, I asked. It had stripes and some colors on its head. A little guy. Those are supposed to be the worst kind, right? The little ones? What color was its head, I asked. I didn't know much about snakes, but this seemed like a sensible question. (laughs) Orange, I think, or red, or maybe white. (laughs) Get in the car, Georgie, Jolene said to me. We're leaving. The snake-bitten man gazed at me with beady, helpless eyes. They were like two raisins set in a mound of dough. Don't leave me here, he said. I'll die. Clifford honked his horn and lurched forward. Please, said the man. I made an executive decision then. Hop in, I said. We'll find a doctor at the wedding. (laughs) Jolene was disgusted at this development and told Clifford to hit the gas and ditch us both before we could climb in the car. Clifford saw no way out of it, though, and waited until we'd gotten inside before he began to drive. Jolene shook her head and muttered curse words as we picked up speed. She remained unconvinced of our passenger's plight even after we showed her the fang marks on his ankle. It looks like you got bit by a mouse. Are you sure it wasn't a mouse or a rat? I'm quite sure, madam, said the man. His name was Willis Kotcher. He told us that he was on his way to visit a lady acquaintance a few hours south and had stepped out of his car to relieve himself when, as he put it, the serpent struck. (laughs) Serpent my ass, said Jolene. I don't believe this shit. We can't just bring a stranger to Margaret's wedding. He's dressed for it, I pointed out. This was true. Willis was wearing a light blue suit and, I noted with envy, a sporty tie. I thought about asking him if I could borrow it, but I would have felt badly about putting him at even more of a disadvantage. I realized too late that I should have just asked if he had another tie back in his car. That way I could have put it on as we were driving. Willis twisted about in the cramped back seat and began to moan. My leg, he said, it feels like it's full of sand. I can't look at it. Is it turning blue? Willis lifted up his leg and it was indeed a little bit blue. There was a bruise developing around the two holes in his ankle. Oh, wow, I said. Willis's face got pale. I'm going to vomit, he said. Oh, you better not, said Jolene. I might faint, said Willis. I feel dizzy. Clifford spoke up. What shape was its head, he asked. Its head, asked Willis. Do you mean the snake's head? Right, said Clifford. Was it shaped like a triangle? You mean pointy? Yes, yes, I believe it was. Is that bad? What about its eyes? Were they colored? They were green or or maybe yellow. 
Sounds like a cotton mouth to me, said Clifford. Is that bad? Well, it's not good. Oh, Lord, said Willis. I can't feel my leg at all. Am I paralyzed? Right as he said that, Willis lifted up his leg and moved it around. It's not paralyzed, I said. We need a knife, said Clifford. Cut an X over the snake bite and suck the poison out. What? That's what you're supposed to do. It's in the Boy Scout handbook. You suck out the poison. Who sucks out the poison? You, said Clifford, looking back at me. (laughs) Willis looked at me, too. He was sweating profusely now, nodding his pudgy head. I'd be most appreciative, he said. (laughs) Clifford opened up the glove compartment and fished out a small pen knife. He handed it to me. Here you go, he said. I turned to Jolene for some sort of confirmation that this was a poor idea, but she seemed through with the matter. Don't look at me, she said. You're the dumbass who let him in the car. Go ahead and suck on his foot. Maybe it'll help. (laughs) She cracked a smile when she said that. This was amusing her, apparently. I took the knife from Clifford and flipped open the blade. I'm going to stop there. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's, uh, that's just a, a taste of what's in this book. Um, here you go. Um, I'm, I'm happy to answer questions if you have any. Uh, um, I have a lot of friends here. I appreciate I, I imagine that if I don't know you personally, you're here because you know someone who knows me personally. Um, so I appreciate you coming. Uh, does anyone have a question? Yes. Uh, well, the last book that I published that was an adult book, I wrote a children's book, came out 14 years ago. So you could theoretically say it took me 14 years to write this. But... Um, that's not really true. I, I, they, I, I kept writing short stories, and uh, I, I, ha, I didn't feel like I had enough to make a collection. Um, so if you accumulated all the time, it was probably like over a period of like three or four years. Um, but yeah, it, it, I, would, I published some of these stories were published like five or like six or seven years ago, and then there's a bunch of them that are more recent, and I really wanted them to be unified in that the narrator was always the same and that some of the characters recur. Um, I'm a big fan of this book, Jesus' Son, um, which has a similar structure. So I spent, I spent uh, some time making it into a book. If that answers your question. That, that's, uh, that's Kara. So she's an ex-girlfriend of mine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But you did come here with someone I do know, so. <laughs> That's why I raised my hand. That's all. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what, um, why are you interested in the interactions between humans and animals? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I, I, um, I, I just find um, that to be good story fodder a lot. I, I, um, I really like talking animal stories. Like I, I've written a lot of those. Like my previous book has a lot of talking animals in it, but this book, there's no talking animals in this book. It's, um, <laughs> it's supposed to all take place in the in the real world. So, um, but I still like the. I think the relationship between humans and animals, especially pets, is really like bizarre and weird and um, and I think it's kind of one of our it's like a there's just something kind of tragic about how bad we are at 
getting along with wildlife and so um, I think that's kind of like the that that's like the turtle face story is something about that and but also I always think it's like when I was writing that turtle face story I found myself really worried about the turtle and I think that's kind of true like we're, we we tend to be more sympathetic towards animals than people um, so maybe that's why I write about animals a lot <laughs> yes you in the back if you could have sex with any animal <laughs> <laughs> That's I don't know who that guy is. Uh, hum, humans. Yeah. Yeah, I prefer. Um, yeah. Uh, that's a good a dolphin, probably. You know, something that would be kind of interesting. I guess. Dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this, this isn't a softball for you to tell everyone that none of the characters are based after me. So, but are are the characters based after people you know? You said that um, the, the main guys, you more or less. But like, what about the other people? So, what, this is a friend of mine. Will is asking if any characters are based on him. Uh, <laughs> no, I. Well, yes. That I. I I often base characters on on like people that I know. That's definitely true. Um, so uh, if I know you, you might be in this book in some way, or like little bits. Like I wouldn't say the main character is based on me. I would say he's like I, I relate to him, and I um, and I often like he's a. I, I I think I'm a little bit more on the ball than Georgie is. I hope. Uh, yeah, Tanisha. Hi. What do you think your process is like? What's the connection between your personal sort of emotional life and the stories? Like, do you think there's a translation so it's like more subconscious, or are you taking from things that really happen? Like, what's the. Uh huh. Um, yeah, I think it's. Uh a lot of times, like something will happen, and then I'll, that will make me think of a story that I, I like. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of like what. Like with the turtle face story, I, I went on a camping trip and I was and we were canoeing and we were really far from civilization. I kept thinking, what if someone gets hurt? What how is that going to play out? And then on a separate time, I was we were diving into the water and I kept thinking, like, what if someone hits a rock or something? And I was like, what's the weirdest thing they could hit? And I just thought a turtle. Um, and so, and I I guess I've had turtles as pets before, so. Um, there's other stories that are like really like there's a story in here about uh, living in like a house with uh, hippies in Vermont and um, I, I kind of had that, that experience um, and and um, not to like give away too much but like uh, so at one point Georgie loses his foot in a wood chipper and and um, <laughs> and and but I but but I, I have I have a, like a, a circulation problem with one of my feet, and so and a, and a doctor a doctor told me once that if I didn't take care of it, that I could lose my foot as I got older. So I've always, it's just always on my mind that maybe I, I'll I'll lose my foot someday. So I, um, I, I I I that's like I would write about that. So I think it's like a lot of what if scenarios, I guess. <laughs> oh. Uh, well, like a you know a, a a really sleek, sexy one that was in good shape, and and uh, yeah. 
Well, what? Blow yeah, with the flow hole, you know, and nice. I yeah. Yeah, I just think why not? <laughs> any other any other I, I in my first book I think then my first book, Dog Walker, uh the the narrator has sex with a dog. So maybe that's why that was question came up, I don't know. Yeah. Um what's the process once you kind of decide what stories are gonna be a book or what order they go into? Um uh, that's a good question because these stories I, I was realizing kind of after the fact that these stories aren't chronological like I, I could have tried to make them um, like the, figured out when he was the youngest and then the oldest um, and pretty much that that's the chrono, uh, chronology in which I wrote them um, like the most recent stories I wrote are the narrator's getting closer to my age and it starts out he's kind of in his 20s or 30s I guess um and uh, but I, I, what I wanted to do, I wanted the turtle face story to be first because I, I thought that set a good tone. So I, that was kind of the first one. And then I didn't want to repeat um, the similar, like I, like I didn't want to have the snake bite story right after it because then I would, thought people reading the book would just be like, oh, this is a bunch of like reptiles and injuries and stuff. So <laughs> I tried to separate them in terms of what happens in them and... and um, there's, so, so I just tried to space them out so they weren't too similar. Um, and, and, and the recurring characters, like when he loses his foot, there's another story that references that that comes later. But it's kind of, it's a little bit random. It's, it's definitely not like you're reading about the beginning of his life and the end of his life. And there's not like an arc in that the, the narrator has learned something at the end. I think within each story there's an arc, but I don't think there's an overall arc to them. I just I realize who you are. We've, we've emailed, but I just met you first. Um, yeah? Uh-huh. Right. Good, good observation, yeah. Um, so I, when I lived in Austin, Texas, I, uh, I ended up in a writing class with Dennis Johnson. Um, uh, and I had already was a huge admirer of his work, um, especially Jesus' son. Um, and there's a character in Jesus' son named Georgie, who I, was one of my favorite characters in, in literature. So I, I totally stole that name from him. Uh, and this character isn't supposed to be that character, but... Um, but De- I, I, Dennis is a really friendly guy. He, w- he was really helpful to me. Um, he a lot of the stories in Dog Walker he had read and gave comments about and um, continued to be really supportive. He's he's really supportive to young writers and um, I'm still in touch with him. So yeah, there's there's like like there, and you could go through this book and like I could point out the like for instance when um, when the guy throws himself on the hood of the car in that story that I just read that. That happens in in a Dennis Johnson book. I was so it was funny, so I took it from him. You know? Like, that's, there's a there's more than that. There's more than one of those in this book. I, say. I really love your your first book. And oh, thanks. I don't know anybody. Good. Yeah. They. Oh, thanks. The thing I like about it is that the narrators are just so incredibly sincere. You know, you just want to hug them. You almost feel sorry. <laughs> And I, it just occurred to me, one of the things about them is they seem like 
they never get the, the big picture. They're always reacting in the moment without getting the big picture. Do you plan it like that, or is that just the voice that, that uh -huh. comes out? Um, yeah, I, well, I was, I, I kind of admire that worldview, like the, the person who's really open to things and, and, and non-judgmental. And, um, so, uh, so I, I know what you mean. That's that I, I definitely was trying for that. Like I wanted to create a narrator and it's a really similar traits in Georgie here, uh, is, um, is someone who's just like, if someone asks him for a ride, he gives him a ride. If someone says, like, hey, I need to pl crash at your place for, like, a month, he'll, he'll be like, okay, sure. And, and, and I just, oh, I've always found that to be, like, I, I, I can't really do it myself because I, I don't, but I, I admire that when people do that. You know, they're, they're they, are, they expose themselves to all sorts of weirdness and stuff. And yeah. like, like the guy that was uh, uh, the main character of Miles. Uh -huh. I mean, he just—he wasn't a bad guy. But he's, you know, trying to cheat on his picture. Right, right. And uh, he just seemed like he was reacting in the moment to all right. this stuff without just yeah. Thought wrong. Right. So I, I just—I just like that quality of the people because they're right. You never know what the hell they're gonna do. Okay? Uh huh. Yeah, like really sort of bad decisions that aren't really thought out. I mean, that's always, I just feel like that's always like good grounds for a story, you know. It's like, because it's not, I just don't think it's that interesting if someone is is like really calculated about everything they do and they make the right decision every time. So, um, so yeah, that, that I, I appreciate that though, that you are here on your own like that. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, any other questions? Any, anything? Any? I'm happy to talk more, but I, I'll um, sign the books, and uh, I, I do really appreciate you coming to uh, say hi. So that's it. All right, so um, thank you guys again for coming. So we're going to do two things. Uh, if you want Arthur to sign your book, we're going to set up the signing line against this bookshelf. So just line up against this bookshelf. And if you do me a huge, huge, huge favor, as you stand up, just fold your chair and lean it up against this bookshelf over here. And we'll set Arthur up right here, and we'll get the signing going right away. Thank you guys again for coming. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.